Well, I love both of those women, but I love one of them particularly more. <laughs> uh, just so grateful, just for our leaders at the church. I, I think of last week, uh, Thursday night, Friday morning, Donna Gassett, Donna Brown leading uh, a Bible study here for women. Still spots open for that, by the way. We got to launch that. Now we're launching Renewed, which is just a place that I know for Paul and Mary, they just want you to come and relax in God's presence and allow yourself to be ministered to. So whether you've been following Jesus for a long time or not, it's a great opportunity for you to come Tuesday, 6 to 7.30. I'm not a lady, but I'm coming too. I want to be a part of it. And so make sure you come. It's going to be a great experience. Uh, speaking about Paula and I, we have four kids. And two of our kids really love to draw and paint and color. They like to do anything and everything. And sometimes we understand what they give us. We can make out what it is. And many other times we can't. Here's a picture that my son Micah drew a couple years ago. And when he gave it to me, I looked at it and I go, what is this? Is this supposed to be a snowman? It looks like a bean with hands. Like, what is your problem? Go back and draw something. If it's a snowman, make it look like a snowman and give it to me. And if it's a good drawing, then I'll accept it. Some of you are like, are you that bad of a dad? <laughs> no, I did not say that. That would be really, really bad if I did. No, what did I do? Even though it does look like a bean with hands, what did I do? I took it and I said, oh, Micah, I love it. You put your little M at the top. I know it's from you. I love that you drew this for your dad. In fact, I'm going to take it to my office. I'm going to display it in my office. And so I took a picture on my desk of the picture and then put it back where it was. It may be a bean with hands, it may be a snowman, I don't care. My son gave it to me, and I love it. And anything my kids make for me, I treasure that. I love it. If that's true, and many parents here understand you would do the same thing, why is it then when we get to prayer, we feel like our Heavenly Father won't accept our prayers unless they're Picasso prayers? Why is it that we say to ourselves, well, I know I should pray, but oftentimes I don't, because what if I say the wrong thing? What if I don't say it the way God wants me to? What if I fall asleep? What if they're not eloquent prayers? What if they're not holier than thou prayers? I can't pray. And what our Heavenly Father is saying to us is, look, there are some really good dads here, but I'm a better dad than all of these earthly dads. And if you would accept a, a picture from your child, no matter what it looks like, don't you think I would accept your prayer no matter what it looks like? It's what theologian Richard Foster says. He says, God receives us just as we are and accepts our prayers just as they are. In the same way that a small child cannot draw a bad picture, so a child of God cannot offer a bad prayer. If you know how to speak or think or sleep, you can pray. I know some people that they say, oh, I pray early in the morning and then I fall asleep. God must be so upset with me. Have you ever had a child fall asleep in your arms? That beautiful feeling, looking down and seeing that person at peace in your arms? Our Heavenly Father thinks the same thing. If you feel at ease with Him and you can rest in His arms, He looks down at you and says, Man, thank you for trusting me enough to fall asleep in your, in, in your presence. Some of us think we speak too much to God. When my son gets done with school, he's a kindergartner, he comes in and he tells me everything. I know what he had for lunch. I know what this kid brought to lunch. I know what they colored. I know what they did. He's telling me what they did on the playground, and I love it. I want him to keep telling me everything because I want to know about his day because he's my son and I care about him. You can't overspeak to God. He loves to hear about the little things. He loves to hear about the big things. 
God wants us simply to draw a picture and give it to him. That's what he desires for us when it comes to prayer, to pray. So that's why we've been in this message series that we kicked off last week in 21 days of fasting and prayer where we want to fast and pray before God and we want to learn more about that so we can have confidence that when we're fasting or when we're praying that God hears us. Today what we want to do is focus on how do we pray. What is God's expectation of us when we pray? So if you have your Bibles open to Luke 11. We're going to be in Luke 11, specifically 5, uh, in ten, 5 through 10. But what I want to do is set it up for you just to explain what's happening. Jesus, like he always does, goes away from the disciples and is praying with his heavenly father. And the disciples are so enthralled with his prayer life that they say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And so Jesus teaches them a prayer that all of us know as the Lord's Prayer. I would expect many of us could probably recite the Lord's Prayer and know what to pray, but Jesus doesn't stop there. In his account of the Gospels, Luke tells us that Jesus doesn't just say what to pray, he teaches us how to pray. And in order to do so, he gives us a story. And that's what we're going to look at today. So Luke 11, verses 5 through 7. We'll start here. Then teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight, wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, a friend of mine had just arrived uh, for a visit. I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night, and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. Now, when we read that from a 21st century lens, we may read like, what's the big deal? But let me take you back to the first century. For someone who is a Jew reading this, they would have understood a lot of the context. So let me give you some context. First of all, it says the friend arrived at midnight. Why is he arriving so late? Well, back then, they didn't have phones, right? So he couldn't text and say, hey, I'm on my way, expect me. They traveled at night. They traveled at night because during the day it was really warm. And so they would travel by camel or travel on foot, and they would oftentimes go all night, and sometimes they would arrive at their destination in the middle of the night. And that's exactly what happens here. The problem is the host is not expecting his friend. His friend showed up because that's what you did back then. If you wanted to visit someone, you would just go. And the people that would receive you would be excited to see you. But this time it's in the middle of the night, and he has nothing to give them to eat. What's the big deal about that? Well, this guy wants to be a good host. This traveler is probably very hungry, and he wants to provide something for him to eat. Some of you are really good hosts as well. You understand this person's dilemma. Like if someone were to show up at your house just to say hello or drop something off, some of you would invite them into their house, and before you know it, these people are enjoying a Thanksgiving dinner just by dropping something at your house. <laughs> some of you love to host in that way. Well, this man would have done the same thing, but for him, culturally and religiously, these uh, first century Jews practiced hospitality. And they wanted to make sure that if someone was coming into their home, they could provide something to eat. But again, what are you going to do at midnight? There's no fourth meal at Taco Bell. <laughs> their favorite pizza place hasn't been created yet. Walmart self-checkout at three in the morning is not ready for them to go. So what do they do? They don't have refrigerators. They don't have freezers. 
Many of them baked bread in the morning and ate all of the bread throughout the day because they know what they had to make. They would go to the market in the morning, get enough food for the day. And so many times there weren't any leftovers or any food left. So this guy wanted to be a good host. He has no food. It's the middle of the night. Walmart hasn't been um, created yet. So what does he do? He goes to his neighbor's house. He goes to his neighbor's house at midnight. Some of you, if I were to come to your house at midnight, you'd be like, oh, come on in. We're just starting a Netflix show (laughs) or just watching a movie. Some of you are night owls and you're up a long time. Others of you, if I knocked on your door at midnight, you would call the police. Many of you have not seen midnight in a very, very long time because you like to go to bed early. Well, so did our friends back in the first century. Why did they go to bed early? Because they didn't have electricity. And so when it was nighttime, it was nighttime couldn't just turn on a light or flip on a tv you were going to go to bed and the other reason is because a lot of them worked very early in the morning so this guy has to go wake up his neighbor in the middle of the night this guy has to get up early for work he is in the middle of dreaming about his next day he's in the middle of REM sleep and yet he knocks on his door but what does the friend respond this neighbor he says don't bother me the door is locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed I can't help you Now, in our day, most of us don't just live in one room, but they did back in that day. Their room was their living room, their family room, their dining room, and their bedroom. So at night, the dad and the mom and all the kids, they slept in one room. They were all around this one guy. So this guy's knocking on his neighbor's door trying to get food, and this dude's like, look, my kids are sleeping. I'm not getting up to help you. Now, if you have little kids or grandkids, you know. You're saying amen right now. You're not waking up the kids. We have some light sleepers in our home, and so if we wake a kid up, it is not good. I remember when Hudson, our oldest, was a little baby. He would sleep with us because he had epilepsy at the time, and we wanted to keep him close. But when he woke up in the middle of the night, he thought it was morning time. I mean, he would jump up, start playing with toys, run around, and we took us forever to get him back to sleep. We would be in our rooms and like, we were like stepping over mines to make sure we didn't run into something or step on a toy because if we woke them up, it was all over. And this neighbor is the same way, like, look, I can't help you right now. If I get up, it's going to wake up all the kids. It's going to wake up my wife. And so you're out of luck. So here we go. We have a friend. He wants to be a good host. It's his obligation to be a good host. This friend in the middle of the night wants to help. And so he goes to his neighbor's house. His neighbor's not going to help. Now, you and I in this situation probably would have been going back to our house and saying, hey, sorry, the marketplace opens in the morning, or I'll bake some fresh bread. I can't help you right now. But Jesus is showing us that this guy is desperate, and he's in need. And because he wants to be a good host, he's not going to do that. He's going to take it a step further. Because that neighbor has what he needs, and he wants to get it. So look what happens. Luke 11, verse 8. He says, I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Jesus says, look, this guy, yes, he is around his family in one room. They're sleeping. But if you keep knocking and knocking and knocking and he figures you're not going to go away, He will end up maybe waking up his family and waking up uh, his wife and kids and everything to help you. And in fact, 
Jesus tells us not only will he help him, he's going to give as much as he needs. Why would this guy all of a sudden have a change of heart and help him? Because of his shameless persistence. Now, when you look at the Greek, which is what the New Testament's written in, and you look at that word shameless persistence, it's only one word. In fact, it's only found one time in the New Testament. So to translate this word is really difficult. So I think shameless persistence is a great translation. Another way of saying it is shameless boldness. This dude is so bold, and he's so persistent, that he's going to knock and knock and knock and knock to get what he needs because he knows that guy has it, he needs it, and he's going to not stop until he gets it. And I love that part of that shameless. He knows he's probably embarrassing himself. Who knows what the wife and kids are going to respond like in the morning. He doesn't care. He wants to be a good host, and he'll do whatever it takes to get the bread. So why this story? Jesus connects it to prayer. Jesus is teaching us through this story that when we approach God in prayer, we need to pray like this, with shameless audacity, with shameless boldness and persistence. That when we pray, we need to pray. Jesus explains it in verse 9 and 10. He says, look, and so I tell you about prayer. When you approach the heavenly throne of grace, Hebrews tells us, you keep on asking. You will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Can we just be honest for a moment? When it comes to our prayer lives, do our prayer lives reflect this kind of persistence? This kind of boldness? That we are knocking. We are seeking, we are asking until God opens that door. Even if it's months away or years away, do we trust him enough to continue to boldly and persistently knock because we know God has what we need and we're not going to stop until we get it. I wish I could tell you that my prayer life was like that all the time. Sometimes it is, oftentimes it's not. Oftentimes it reflects what happens when we go on a new diet. Right? You get really excited. You're like, okay, i got to drop some weight. And so what do you do? You go to Meyer and you buy as much kale as you can buy. Then you start making these nasty kale smoothies. And then you start exercising to the point where you're exhausted. And then you get to Friday and you're sick of kale smoothies. You don't see the scale moving and so you just order pizza Friday night because it's a lot easier to do. It's a lot of times how we approach prayer. We're in need. We see that God has what we want, so we pray once. Maybe twice. And then maybe before bed, maybe before a meal, maybe on a Sunday morning. And then we give up. So we don't see the results. Or God hasn't spoken. Or we go back to wanting to lead our own lives because we don't trust God to do it. Look, Scripture is pretty clear here. We can pray anything we want because God just wants us to draw and color and paint a picture. But some of us need to get our supplies out and start coloring and painting. We've used a lot of excuses on why we shouldn't pray. But Jesus is like, look, when you pray and you pray and you pray, 
doesn't matter if you know what to say. doesn't matter if you fall asleep, but if you just show up over and over and over again, something amazing can happen. Now, I'm also aware of the other side of this. I know people who have prayed a lot about certain things, and things have not changed, or God did not open the door. I have a friend, her and her husband lost a daughter a few years ago, and she still absolutely loves Jesus, but she struggles to pray for this reason. She says, I knocked. Eric, you knocked. The church knocked, and we knocked, and we knocked, and we knocked, and we begged, and we begged, and we begged, and we knew that God had what we need, but the door never opened. What do you say to someone like that? What do you do when you experience something like that in your own life? How do you reconcile that? Well, the theological response that I think is the right response to say to someone having these kind of questions is to look back at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Here is Jesus. He's fulfilled his earthly mission up until that point, but now he has to go through the rough stuff of going to the cross. And Jesus, though he's God, he's also human, and he's wrestling with the Father like, look, I don't want to do this. If there is any other way, God, please have it that kind of way. To the point where Jesus is wrestling with his sweating blood. Why? Not because he has to be crucified. That's very painful. But because he's going to have the world's sin and shame and guilt. Death itself laid upon him. And he knows because of that, he and the Father will be separated for that moment. He can't bear to think of that. And so he is crying out to God, please, any other way, Lord. But then he says this. But God, not my will, but your will be done. Even in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus teaches us, God, bring your kingdom here. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now that's the right thing to say, and I really, that's the right thing theologically, and I really truly believe that. How do you say that to a woman who lost a child? Like, well, God's will. It's insensitive. In fact, I think sometimes we think we can answer for God when oftentimes God wants to remain silent on certain things. That we get uncomfortable with the tension of being a human and yet not understanding God's ways. And so we speak for God in ways he's silent. You see, prayer, like many things of the Christian faith, is a mystery. You look at scripture and you see many a times where Jesus says this, or the apostles say this, or even in the Old Testament, in in ways to say you have not because you asked not. And so when we pray, something happens. And then, but I look at other sides where I see God's sovereignty and God knowing more than we know. And then even if we do ask, he won't grant that because he does know certain things. And that, combined with that, there's this mystery that's above our pay grades. And so I think when it comes to prayer, we have to remember that there's mystery and that God is doing something in the mystery 
that he's both allowing our free will to go hand in hand with his sovereignty, and somehow he works it out in ways that I can't wait to find out sometime outside of this earth. But for now, we still need to pray. And we do leave the results up to God. And that's what Jesus is saying in this text. Some of us, we need to be a little bit kinder to each other and say, I just don't know. I wish God opened that door, but I don't know why. I don't think we'll ever know why. But if you're like me, most of the things in my life, I'm not always praying about the way Jesus says to pray about it. And I wonder if that's true for your life too. Whatever that thing is in your life, are you just knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking and knocking? I'm not just talking about tomorrow. I'm talking about for the next 20 years. Are you willing to knock knowing that God is on the other side at any time he would and could open that door. Because prayer does change a lot of things. And prayer is effective. Let me give you three ways on how prayer can be effective. One, prayer oftentimes changes us as people. Got to admit something to you this morning. My wife down here. We do not have a perfect marriage. <laughs> I married somebody perfect. She did not. And so therefore, you like that, honey? Thank you. I will, pull, I will bring that up later today if you get upset at me. But we argue, we struggle, and we really, really love each other. I mean, we are each other's best friend, but we struggle. And there's many times when we're in this argument, I go to God because I need the Lord to intervene. And there's so many times where I start telling God all of Paula's issues. Like, Lord, did you see what she said? Do you see how she treated me? Did you see what happened? Come on. And I am knocking with both hands. I'm kicking with my feet. I'm like, Lord, change this woman. And then God says, Eric, what about you? So then I stop knocking. I go back to my regular life. I ignore God for a little while. Go back the next day. God, that was probably some indigestion. I don't think I heard you right. Lord, do you not know what Paula did? And God says, Eric, what about your pride? What about your anger? What about your insecurity? What about your negligence? What about you serving her? If I could finally humble myself and listen to that, I'm like, Lord, you're right. You see, when we come into God's presence over and over and over again, we have a chance to become like Jesus. And to become like Jesus, if you're like me, you got a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of work to do. And God's willing to do that in prayer. There's so many times where I have the wrong perspective of who I am until I go into God's presence. And God is gracious enough to sometimes lovingly tell me, sometimes he slaps me around a little bit, I need both. <laughs> and it's in those moments that God wants to change me so I can bring my best self to the relationship. Because prayer can change us. It's time to stop focusing on other people and maybe let God focus on what's going on in here. Also, prayer can change situations. I've seen it many a times. We have prayed for many a people at this church for a diagnosis or whatever it is for something to happen positive and trend in the right direction. I've seen it happen. But I've seen God answer prayer even recently in my life as early as last week. 
we went to Grand Rapids last week as a family because that's where I got to serve as a, uh, an intern there, and I got to teach there, and it was just a great experience. As we were getting ready to go, that's when uh, snowmageddon, is that what they're calling it, like snow dumping everywhere, and, and I'm thinking, what are we going to do? I don't want to drive uh, the five most important people in my life to Michigan, and if you've ever been in Michigan, those drivers, oh Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, how many times I thought badly about them, they're not great drivers, and so I knew going into this, it was going to be interesting and already going to be a tough thing, but then of course with the snow, and so we were going back and forth, back and forth. And we were looking at the radar uh, for Sunday, and it was calling for snow in Grand Rapids, and I knew I'd have to go through that on the way home, and I was really scared. But we made the decision to go. Even when we left, the radar said it's going to snow, and I was ready to grit myself through Grand Rapids, and wouldn't you know it, I was able to cruise at 75. Not one snowflake came down, even though it said it was supposed to snow. Now you could say, Meteorologists are oftentimes wrong. I will give you that. You can say it's a coincidence. And if you say that, I would say coincidences are when God chooses to remain anonymous. It was supposed to snow, and it didn't. And I prayed a lot about it. And I believe God answered. I think the times when I don't see God, or I don't see situations that change, I have to reflect and say, well, did I pray about it? Did I knock and knock and knock and knock and seek and seek and seek and seek and ask and ask and ask and ask and not give up? The third thing prayer does is to allow us to trust God more than we did before we entered into prayer. Tim Keller says prayer brings God back in the picture. I know so many people who love Sunday morning services, not because the worship is great or the messages, or the coffee. It's because for you, Sunday is bringing God back into the picture. The good thing is God wants to be in the picture when you leave today all the way through next Sunday at 1015. And the way we do that is we pray. Because if God's in the picture, then even if he says no to my yes or yes to my no, I know that I can trust him. That when I say God's will, your will be done, this isn't just Christianese. It's really my heart. If you want to get to that point where you could say, thy will be done on earth and in heaven. If you want to get to the point where Jesus can say, not my will, but your will be done. We have to pray. Not just before we go to bed. Not just before a meal. Not just in church. We need to pray. As much as we breathe. Because prayer changes things. Sometimes it changes me. Sometimes it changes situations. Sometimes it allows me to see God. Oftentimes, it's two or three out of three. So that's why over these few weeks, we really want to pray together. That's why we passed this out last week. And if you didn't get it, uh, grab it at our Welcome Center. It's our 21-day prayer guide that we as a church want to pray together. Because God says when we knock and knock and knock and knock together, he opens doors. And I want to see God open doors at the chapel for his glory. And so right today we're actually on day seven. Become more like Jesus. We're praying John 8, 31 through 32 as a church. We're praying some of the prompts that we've given you. And we want to do that all the way through the next couple of weeks. In May I'm teaching a class on prayer at our Port Clinton campus. We have our class list at the, at the desk. Grab that as well. Let's join together in learning more about prayer. But all I want you to do is walk away from today thinking about your prayer life. 
and asking yourself, when's the last time you got the art supplies out? And instead of saying, I can't draw like Picasso or paint like Picasso, I'm not going to do it. And yet God's just saying, just draw a line or paint a stroke or color in whatever you want to do, but just give it to me because I want to put it on my refrigerator. All he wants us to do is pray. And if you can speak, if you can think, if you can sleep, if you're alive, you can pray. We don't just pray when we need something and then just forget about God. We pray and pray and pray and pray because behind that door, God has what we need. And we are going to ask him and trust him until he opens it one way or another. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the gift of prayer. Sometimes prayer, in my mind, can be an obligation. And yet it's actually a tool to connect myself to you. At any moment, when I think about you, open my mouth. Or even if I fall asleep in your presence, you are there. And it's in prayer, Lord, where you show me, God, it's actually me that you want to shape me to be like you. It's in prayer, God, that we see your hand at work in supernatural ways. It's in prayer that when we, we get a no to our yes, you are we are able to say, God, but your will be done. I trust you. God, you've given us the greatest resource we can have. It's not food. It's not water. It's not money. It's prayer. Help the chapel to be known as a praying church. In Jesus' name, amen.